2: It shouldn't be taken seriously, so just don't.
1: You my true ride or die, boo, has been a catchphrase for millions of gangsta wannabe couples that have probably never committed a crime greater than bouncing a check, buying a bag of weed from the corner man, or driving on a suspended license. When shit hits the fan and someone winds up in jail, that outlaw love draws couples closer. But oftentimes, these relationships result in a domestic dispute at some point and potentially a shitty cover-up tattoo to hide another shitty tattoo of that ride-or-die lover's name. But there are some couples that live that gangster life and stay true to the ride-or-die moniker. The subject of today's show may be the most authentic, well-known gangster couple in American history, Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. The criminal duo embarked on the Great American Robbery Tour in the early 1930s and the public ate it up. Bonnie was portrayed as an attractive, yet tough, cigar-smoking, gun-toting girlfriend and Clyde the slick, freewheeling, fast-driving frontman. Their personas were larger than life and have led to many movies, plays, TV shows, and of course, in the music world. But just like pretty much everything Hollywood gets its hands on, the truth and the reality of the situation were much different than portrayed. What was it that triggered the criminal couple to live the life they did? Was it really all glitz and glamour, or did the couple have some deep-down demons, or hell, gonorrhea to boot? Grab your ride-or-die, jump in your getaway car, and put your fucking hands up for the Bonnie and Clyde episode of Asshole Court! Right before we dive into the show, we want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon subscribers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These folks were with us from day one, and we appreciate the hell out of your support. For real, though. So, a gigantic asshole court thank you goes out to Chica Chiba Nina, Warren from England, Warren, Root, R U T, Karen D, Jill, Joy, Phil the Doctor, not Dr. Phil. I like that. Zeus 420, Lindsay, Ambra, and Kayla. Again, huge thanks, and we hope you're enjoying Conspiracy Court, the ad-free shows, and those sweet, sweet stickers you get for being a Patreon subscriber. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. You guys are
0: awesome, and you sound super attractive.
2: Right? (laughs) All the names, I can just tell. (laughs) All
1: right, boys, let's get some pre-show scores for Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Okay, um, they are total skanks.
1: They are the originator
0: skanks. <laughs> oh, wow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Mike
0: right skanks. out the gate. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, they get romanticized, but at the end of the day, they were just fucking deadbeat skanks. There's no way around it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for real, fuck them, dude. Uh, I'm going to give them combined as a pair, because this is how we're doing it, right? We're not rating them individually. That's right. Bonnie as a, as a and Clyde, I'm going to give them a 7.5 based on what i know about them uh which is admittedly very surface level i haven't done too much research on them i think i listened to a couple podcasts on them one time there's only really one thing that i remember that i'll bring up as we go along but they are uh skank losers that don't deserve to be glorified and 7.5 is my score
2: all right all right buddy what you got so for me of course you know i've done some really extensive research on them um by that, I've watched The Highwaymen. All right. Uh, yeah. With Woody Harrelson and <laughs> Kevin go. Costner. And yep. uh, that's pretty much the extent of my knowledge of
0: <laughs> <laughs> Buddy always goes to the fictional movies for his deep dives. That's right. That's where it's at. Yeah. He said, I know a lot about the Vietnam War from
1: Forrest Gump, <laughs>
2: Blockbuster University. You know. I
1: wrote a dissertation on uh, World War II after watching Saving Private Ryan yeah. and Pearl Harbor. <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: <laughs> Excellent. So, um, yeah, no, I mean, like, I remember reading about them as we were growing up and stuff like that, but I've never really done any anything more than a surface-level investigation on the two of them. So, yeah, I, I know that Hollywood glamorizes a lot of um, these kind of stories, so I'm sure there's a lot more behind the scenes than uh, what I know. So, um, But from what I do know, they murdered a couple people, they robbed a lot of banks, so yeah, I'm going to put them up there uh, right around the same ballpark as Mikey. I'm going to go with a 7.8.
1: Okay. And um, yeah, we'll see where they end up by the end of the show. All right. So uh, I am definitely a huge fan of true crime. And I like yeah. to kind of hear the details behind the crime and Absolutely. the criminals. You know what I mean? But again, you can't really sugarcoat it with these two people. No, they kill people. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, straight up. I love the Hollywood image they have, but at the end of the day, um, they're definitely going to rank pretty high pre-show. So pre-show I'm going 7.25 for Bonnie and Clyde. Okay. All right. Well, with a 7.5 for Mikey, a
2: seven point eight from Buddy and a seven point two five from Randy. Bonnie and Clyde's combined pre-show asshole score is a seven point five. Oh my god, we were like
0: pulling out the abacus and all this shit to do the math, and it ended up just being my score. <laughs> so,
1: so pre-show they fall. It's the square extreme. root of this apartment. <laughs> <laughs> so, so pre-show they uh, they fall right between Charlie Sheen and Takashi six nine. Okay. Oh wow, well, I on hope they chart. go
2: higher by the end of this because. Right? Uh, Charlie Sheen and Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Yeah. They're both diseased. <laughs> <laughs> All three of them. Awesome.
0: Actually, We're...
1: Charlie Sheen would have fucked both of them, to be honest. Yeah, Probably. Oh, yeah. And we'll, we may find out Clyde might have let him. Oh, no, I know. No. Let's get going on this one. Awesome. Too We're locked and loaded. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's do it. Bonnie Elizabeth Parker was born in 1910 in Rowena, Texas, the second of three children. Her father... Charles Robert Parker was a bricklayer who died when Bonnie was four years old. Ooh. Her widowed mother, Emma, moved her family back to her parents' home in Cement City, an industrial suburb of West Dallas where she worked as a seamstress.
0: Yeah, that's like one of those, like a city of industry, California. Yeah. It was oh. like, what do we call this place?
1: <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Cement, Cement City? <laughs> city. <laughs> yeah. And then they all we got built- re- renamed in like the 80s. Yeah. You know, they yeah. went back and renamed a bunch of shitty towns like that back in the day. Retail worker Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> we built this city.
0: I bet there's like a bakery Kansas or some shit too. I know
1: there's an intercourse Pennsylvania. Yeah. Man. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's where all the prostitutes live. <laughs> in the Poconos. Yeah. Poconos. 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 Poconos prostitutes. In there? During her school days, Bonnie excelled at creative writing and poetry. She also loved music growing up in West Texas, and she also loved the stage. She performed in school pageants and talent shows, singing Broadway hits or country favorites. She was described as smart and attractive, and she told her friends that they would see her name in lights one day. Yeah. She was a big movie fan and imagined a future herself on the silver screen. In her second year of high school, Parker met a dude named Roy Thornton. The couple dropped out of school and married on September twenty fifth, 1926, Six days before her 16th birthday. Let's
0: make two bad decisions at once.
1: (laughs) I want you to drop out of school and let's get married. It's going to last forever, babe. I love you.
2: I'm in.
1: (laughs) The marriage was (laughs) (laughs) short-lived. Roy would disappear for days on end without explanation or justification and often slapping Bonnie around for asking too many questions. Don't ask me about
0: going to Intercourse, Pennsylvania.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's my business. Why are you poking your nose in this business, all right? In 1929, he was sentenced to five years in prison for robbery. They never divorced, but Bonnie never again saw her husband after he was in prison that year. Peace. All right. After the end of her marriage, Parker moved back in with her mother and worked as a waitress in Dallas. One of her regular customers was a postal worker named Ted Hinton, and we'll hear about Ted Hinton later in the story. All right. Parker briefly kept a diary in early in 1929 when she was 18 in which she wrote of her loneliness, her impatience with life in Dallas, and her love of taking pictures.
0: Hmm. Sounds like uh, an Instagram feed. (laughs) (laughs) I love photography, and I'm so lonely and stuff like that, and I work in Dallas.
1: Here's a picture of my avocado toast. That's it. Mm. (laughs) So good. Clyde Chestnut Barrow was born March 24, 1909, into a poor farming family in Teleco, Texas, southeast of Dallas. He was the fifth of seven children to Henry and Cumi Barrow. His mom's name is spelled C-U-M-I-E. I wanted to call her Cummy, but <laughs> I just don't gross. think that's right. But
0: nah, That's gross. Isn't it? Yeah. Oh, uh.
1: Cummy Barrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: anyway, his family's farm failed due to a drought, and the Barrow family moved to West Dallas in the early 1920s. The Barrows spent their first months in West Dallas living under their wagon until they got enough money to buy a tent.
0: That's Ooh. grapes of wrath shit right man. there. He's about wow. to get breastfed by the local lady. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, but when you say like a poor farming family and... Jeez, that's it yeah. that right Hey, there. we
0: didn't have shoes until I was about 18 or so. He said, I got hookworm, man.
2: I'm dumb and slow <laughs> as hell. I walked the Oregon Trail. <laughs>
1: Clyde, whose nickname with his family was Bud... Was a small and unassuming boy and attended school until the ripe old age of 16.
2: That's about right. Eh, yeah, for back then.
1: He had a great love for music and loved to sing and play an old guitar. He also taught himself to play the saxophone, and it seemed as if he might pursue a career in music. Instead of trying to be the next Louis Armstrong as a teenager, Clyde attempted to enlist in the U.S. Navy. Lingering effects from a serious boyhood illness, possibly malaria or yellow fever, Resulted in his medical rejection
0: He got hookworm bro I'm telling you those barefoot mother. I was watching some here recently And they were talking about like in the south hookworm was a real deal And that if you get hookworm It can actually make you dumber Like it makes huh. you slow And so a lot of the whole uh, stereotype of southerners of like the being, hick Yeah and the, being the slow and Is because they were fucking barefoot farmers Who ended up with hookworm oh, And wow. I was like huh that's
1: fascinating So anyways Clyde Barrow got hookworm <laughs> Not getting in the Navy was a hard blow for Clyde, who had already tattooed USN on his left arm. <laughs> what a fucking moron. Yeah, put the cart a little ahead of the horse yeah, on that one. Yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. my God. Got the tat before I went in. Fuck, I didn't
0: get in. I'm going to be a fucking admiral someday, I'm telling you. Just wait. Just wait. That's
1: it, man. They said, what did you score on the ASVAB? He was like, the what? <laughs> Influenced negatively by his older brother, Buck, as well as a shady friend of the family, it wasn't long before young Clyde's interest turned from playing songs into stealing cars. The notorious criminal was first arrested in 1926 for automobile theft after failing to return a car he rented in Dallas, to visit an estranged high school girlfriend. So that's not even
0: that badass. He like went to Hertz and then just didn't bring didn't re- it back to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fucking stole a car. Oh, really? Yeah, no, I, mean, I just, I, well, just I, mean, didn't I rented it. They didn't
2: return it. I mean,
0: I, I went to, but the budget rental car place was closed, so I just decided <laughs> I'd keep it for an extra day, and I got arrested the next morning.
1: The rental car agency dropped the charges, but the incident remained on Clyde's arrest record. This so, is going on your permanent record, right? I can I, That's so crazy. They had car rental places
0: back yeah, in the 20s. He was
1: 16 or whatever. Yeah, 17. Yeah. They, 17 him, yeah, they rented him a car. Uh-huh. Yeah,
0: seatbelts, that shit. Airbag. Yeah. That.
1: I, I don't think he had insurance either, man.
2: I, oh, back then you didn't have to have insurance.
0: Yeah. It wasn't until, uh, I think, last decade that you had to legally have insurance in Alabama. Huh. Like you could still drive without insurance there. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. Let it ride. Yeah, dude. You yeah. <laughs> better hope that motherfucker has got some money if he hits you.
1: Just three weeks later, he was arrested again alongside his older brother, Buck Barrow, for stealing a truckload of turkeys. That was a little more gangster.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we got all the <laughs> turkeys, turkey. Buck Barrow, too. That sounds like a solid porno name. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No it doubt. does.
1: Absolutely. Barrow had some legitimate jobs during 1927 through 1929, but he also cracked safes Robbed stores and stole cars. You know, the typical shit you hear about a movies. You know, yeah, see, movies. I'm
0: going to crack the safe, see? Yeah. yeah.
1: The trifecta of bad jobs. That's exactly Bad guy right. jobs.
2: You know,
0: safe cracking. That shit's wild, dude.
1: I watched. And uh, safes
2: were made better back then. You know, weren't they? Or like, no. No. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs>
1: no, absolutely not. I
2: thought not. they were like more like cheap for the most part, like commonplace uh, for no. people, what they have in their homes nowadays by comparison.
0: I think safe technology has gotten significantly better.
1: I watched a Netflix uh, movie. Well, about half of it. It's about a safe cracker. Okay, don't remember the name of it. It was all right. Anyway. Yeah. You kind of listen for the ticks and clicks and all that shit. Yeah. I'd be terrible at it. Well, that was my nickname
0: for all my high school girlfriends. No, no. no, no, Safe cracker.
1: (laughs) 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 Several accounts describe Parker and Barrow's first meeting. The Most Credible states that they met on January 5, 1930, at the home of Barrow's friend Clarence Clay in the neighborhood of West Dallas. Barrow was 20 years old, and Parker was 19. Parker was out of work and staying with a female friend to assist her during recovery from a broken arm. Barrow dropped by on the girl's house while Parker was in the kitchen making hot chocolate. Both were smitten immediately, and from this point on, the two were almost inseparable
2: gross i guess the hot chocolate wasn't the only thing hot there that night
0: god who makes hot chocolate too what are you four (laughs) eight you know what i'm saying i like like hot chocolate yeah but yeah i mean if i just can't imagine that you met your wife while you were making a thing of a mug of hot chocolate in someone's house i don't know i don't know i'd be cool with that (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: i guess i'm just an asshole
0: (laughs) (laughs) i just don't like hot chocolate i'd rather have coffee
2: what happened in your childhood A lot. Yeah. Yeah, I ran into this guy named Buck Barrow.
1: (laughs) Bonnie and Clyde were together for about a month before Clyde's nefarious behavior caught up with him. He was arrested and charged with auto theft being sent to Eastham Farm Prison in April of 1930 at the age of 21. Like the true ride-or-die chick she was, Bonnie smuggled a gun on a visit to him, and he escaped from the prison farm shortly after his incarceration. How do I... that's back in the day when you could... Smuggle guns into a prison. Yeah, I and mean, oh, you could like, actually, like, escape and then just move to, like,
0: New Mexico and just give done. yourself a new name. Yeah, That's just so for real. Like, you, God, I'm almost like... I almost wish I lived back then. I'd be like, I would, I don't know. Maybe I'd kill someone to see if i get away with it. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Like, this
2: is real easy. Mikey's got some Dexter fantasies over here. It's,
0: well, I mean, it's, it's, you could totally leave. It's, it's true. It's a, like, I remember talking to my dad, and he was like, we moved around all the time. And I was like, oh, well, you know, your dad was in the military. And then at one point, he was like... Uh, actually, by the time we were moving around a lot my, my dad, his my grandfather Was out of the military It's just that my grandmother liked to borrow a lot of money And never paid it back yeah. So they went town to town nice. <laughs> So, yeah <laughs>
2: You, we we kind of wore, wore out our welcome in some yeah, places. Pretty much, you just leave.
1: And then, <laughs> on, and then on the subway one day, she was approached by a guy and wanted to play a game. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, next thing you know, your grandma was on Squid Game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean,
0: for real though, like that's that like the the concept of a credit score didn't exist back then. It was just like, hey, these people in town know you, and uh, you know you stick around. But if you shake bar- my
2: hand, yeah, here we go.
0: Oh, I'll totally pay you back. But then uh, if they don't, then you're like, well,
1: let's just move to the next state over. <laughs> probably shouldn't tell that story. (laughs) (laughs) So Clyde busted out, but he was recaptured shortly and sent back to the notoriously tough prison with a 14-year sentence. Yikes. Many believe this was the turning point in Clyde's life and was the catalyst for his future life of crime and the reason he lived the way he did. While at Eastham, Clyde had to endure a lot of hardships, shitty food, extremely long days of hard labor, fights, mistreatment of prison guards, and of course... Sexual assault.
0: Yeah. Oh, really? There Clyde was, got Rizaped. Yes, boy. he did. Oh,
1: he's like, uh, what's his
2: name in Shawshank Redemption?
0: Yeah, any prison movie, really. <laughs> there the was, guy from Oz, American History X. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to prison.
1: <laughs> there was one inmate that took a liking to Clyde and would repeatedly rape him. The guards looked the other way, and the inmate was too big for Clyde to overtake in a fight. So he did the next best thing. He found a piece of pipe and crushed the dude's skull in the prison yard and killed him. Oh, wow. Hey, man. Man. Fair game. Kind of reminded me of the game Clue. It was Clyde with the lead pipe in the prison yard. (laughs) That's it. That's great. (laughs) So this was Clyde's first murder. Another inmate who was already serving a life sentence claimed responsibility for it. While serving his sentence in January 1932, Clyde decided he could no longer endure the unforgiving work and brutal conditions at the notoriously tough prison farm in the hopes of forcing a transfer to a less harsh facility, Clyde had another inmate sever his left big toe and a portion of his second toe with an axe. Wow. The the self-mutilation, which permanently crippled his walking stride and prevented him from wearing shoes while driving, ultimately proved unnecessary as he was released on parole six days later.
0: Oh! Oh. I I like to to imagine that when he cut his toe off. Yowie! (laughs) (laughs)
1: That hurt Without his knowledge, Barrow's mother had successfully petitioned for his release. He was paroled on february second, nineteen thirty two from Eastham as a hardened and bitter criminal.
0: Bad luck, Chuck, bro. Yep. What a dumbass.
1: The tattoo, the the toes, the
2: hookworm. He's
0: got a rough rough run at it. He's like, God, I'm so tired of getting raped. Well, and he fucking lived under a wagon
1: for a while. Like, yeah. Man,
0: he's had a rough life, man. That's it. And then Tila Tequila. We should join forces.
1: (laughs) His sister Marie said something awful must have happened to him in prison because he wasn't the same person when he got out. Yeah, he got raped. That's pretty bad. Yeah, right? Fellow inmate Ralph Fultz said that he watched Clyde changed from a schoolboy to a rattlesnake. Ever since he lost that toe, man, he just ain't been the same. Mm-mm, mm-mm. He walks funny. I don't know if it's from the toe or his, his gaping bubble. Butt. Butt. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, all right. No, prison no more rage. Yeah. Yeah. We've been
2: asked by our fans, guys, we want more. And just like a genie in a bottle, your wishes are command. Our Patreon page is now live. Find us on Patreon at AHC Podcast to get access to our all new Conspiracy Court episodes, get a shout out on one of our Asshole Court episodes, voting power on future episodes, stickers, swag, and a whole lot more. Go to patreon.com and search for AHC Podcast to get your fix today. And now, back to your regularly scheduled shenanigans. <laughs>
1: After his release from prison, Clyde was reunited with Bonnie and made a brief effort to go straight, working at a Dallas glass company. Now, hold on. Uh, when does he get released? Roughly, like, let's see. He got out February second, nineteen thirty-two.
2: Okay, so uh, yeah, he's like uh like twenty-four, five, something like that. In the roughly,
1: he was born
2: in 09 Yep. So yeah, like okay. So he only spent like, what, like three years in jail or something of that 14-year bid? Yeah. Yeah, it was a yeah. long
1: three years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so he got the job working at the glass company, but when police harassment caused him to lose the job, Clyde said, fuck it, and formed a gang that he would become infamous for, known as the Barrow Gang.
0: Don't want to be in my gang. I got fired from my glass job. <laughs> what? But Why were they harassing him? I don't understand. Did they, did they say? Nah. They, and, and, was, and the
2: highwaymen, they just had it kind of like, he was a... a what was his last name? Barrow. Barrow. That's a Barrow boy. He's trouble. Oh, okay, you know. So it's right. like no matter what he did, he couldn't shake his last yeah. name. So he's like, "Fuck it." I'm hey, going so that's all the out.
0: little Barrow. He's the one that got raped, right? Yep. Buck. <laughs> Buck ain't getting raped. <laughs> Buck's doing the raping. <laughs> Buck likes
2: to fuck. Yeah. He doesn't get fucked.
1: So folklore would imply that Bonnie and Clyde ran wild, committing robberies of all kinds, keeping authorities at bay for extended amounts of time. In reality. Their run was only two years long after Clyde got out of prison. Yep. In his post esom career, Barrow robbed grocery stores and gas stations at a rate far outpacing the 10 or so bank robberies attributed to him and the Barrow gang. So he was like robbing literally the mom and pops. Mom yeah. and pops. Not
2: not the big banks.
1: Another thing they would rob? Funeral homes. Yeah. oh, They would rob funeral homes yeah. and hardware stores because they sold guns at hardware stores. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of wild. It was all crimes of opportunity. Pretty much. Whatever's around. You. Anything
2: that had a decent amount of cash laying around, they would go in after. It didn't matter what it was.
1: Yeah, not even a decent amount. Yeah, I was about amount. to yeah.
0: say, they didn't score much in the way of cash. They
1: even said, like, yeah, they would have to rob a store, take the cash, and just live off of it until they could go rob something else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. They weren't scoring any, like, huge, you know, takedowns or it's anything. a horrible 100 lifestyle. here, right. you know, 50 here. Yep. So, Clyde's favorite weapon was the M1918 Browning Automatic Rifle, known as a BAR. That shit's for
2: real, homie. Yeah,
1: they are a gangster. I was actually watching Saber Private Ryan on Veterans Mm -hmm. Day the other day, and they were using BARs in that movie. Those shits are for real, Yeah, Those
2: look like the Tommy Guns from back in that
0: day. No, they're longer. It's hard to describe them, man, but it's like they... This is an automatic rifle. Yeah, it's a legit machine gun, and it shoots forty fives. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Imagine just machine gun with forty fives coming at you, and then the thing too. At this time, every cop around there like had some fucking pea shooter six, Mm -hmm. like a revolver. Yeah. Yeah. sudden, This motherfucker comes out with like the equivalent of like a fifty caliber machine gun. (laughs) Yeah, they're in deep shit. Yeah.
1: According to author John Neal Phillips, who's written multiple books about Bonnie and Clyde, Barrow's goal in life was not to gain fame or fortune from robbing banks but to seek revenge against the Texas prison system for the abuses he had suffered while serving time. So he wasn't about the money. He was all about trying to get back at the prison system. I
0: feel like that's sort of a post facto rationalization though because then like why wouldn't you just go and intentionally kill cops
1: then instead yeah, of like right?
0: robin uh like joey's emporium or whatever where it's like
1: a hardware store well, you most know? of the people they did kill were cops well yes yeah. and
0: and but i'm saying like i feel like well he also is dumb as shit so maybe he didn't you know he's like i won't get strike back
2: at him but i gotta do something to fund this life while i'm you know in between cop kills yeah, yeah. you know
1: did you have a grand plan to this uh We'll get to it here in just a second, yeah. All right. After Barrow's release from prison in February 1932, he and Foltz, the inmate who said he had become a rattlesnake, began a series of robberies, primarily of stores and gas stations. Their goal was to collect enough money and firepower to launch a raid against the Eastern Prison where they had both spent time.
0: Okay, now it's making more sense. So yeah.
1: what? Now they're gonna like go up against them or something Pretty like that? Like, yeah, blaze of glory. Away. Yeah, mm-hmm. he knew he was he was signing up for, okay. and we'll hear uh, how that played out here mm-hmm. in just a bit. On April nineteenth, nineteen thirty-two, Bonnie Parker and Fultz were captured in a failed hardware store burglary in Kaufman, Texas, in which they had attempted to steal firearms. Parker was released from jail in a few months after the grand jury failed to indict her. Fultz was tried, convicted, and served time. He never again rejoined the gang. But while Bonnie was in jail, she broke out her inner Maya Angelou and wrote a number of poems. Boring. She penned a collection of ten odes that she entitled Poetry from Life's Other Side, which included the story of Suicide Sal, which was a poem about an innocent country girl lured by her boyfriend into a life of crime.
0: Oh, wait. Wow. She really went outside the box on that one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and another entitled The Trail's End that ironically finished with this verse. Someday they'll go down together and they'll bury them side by side. To a few it'll be grief, to the law a relief, but it's death for Bonnie and Clyde. Fucking Nostradamus over here.
0: That's it. It also sounds like one of the verses off of uh, My Chemical Romance's Three Cheers for Sweet (laughs) Revenge album.
1: She reunited with Barrow within a few weeks of her release from the Kaufman County Jail. Once they got back together, after Bonnie got out, they went on a crime spree that would make them famous. And it wasn't just the crimes they committed, but the way they went about their crimes and the items left behind that would tell the story of the two and make them into criminal legends the subjects of multiple movies, and, of course, a Jay-Z song.
2: So up to this point, they're just still small-time. They're not really hitting any kind of mainstream...
1: Right, mainstream media, media. right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 They never really had any huge takes, you know what I mean? But um, we'll see in a second kind of how they became into the limelight of American folklore. Okay.
0: There's a lot of this stuff going on, too, in the 30s, too, like in the Great Depression. You have guys like Babyface Nelson or all that stuff like that, where people like John Dillinger who they became sort of like uh, Robin Hood stories yep. of, like, you know, just, I guess, pop culture, and people just sure. loved hearing these stories. So
1: Yeah, sure. As they went about their crime spree, which we'll dive into in a minute, they used a loophole in the justice system that would later be changed, known as the state line rule. The gang would usually start down in Texas and work their way north, always staying close to state lines. The law back then stated that if a crime was committed in one state, the police essentially couldn't chase the criminals over state lines. (laughs) We're hitting up all the gas stations right on the border, (laughs) man. The gang would make a big loop and usually wind up back in Texas. Even though Bonnie and Clyde's families knew that they were up to no good, they made frequent trips back to West Dallas where their families lived. Sometimes they would return for visits multiple times in one month. Clyde's standard method was to drive quickly past his parents' house and throw a Coke bottle with a note out of his car window. His mother or father would recover the bottle which contained directions on where and when to meet them outside of town. Although the parents initially didn't like each other as Bonnie's mother blamed Clyde for ruining her daughter's life, they learned to cooperate by speaking in code on the telephone and arranging rendezvous. At the bar, around two. Two, yes. There was one incident that would help paint the picture of what most think of when they hear the names Bonnie and Clyde. On March 22, 1933, Clyde's brother Buck was granted a full pardon and released from prison, and he and his wife Blanche set up shop with Bonnie and Clyde, a few others, in a temporary hideout in Joplin, Missouri. The group ran loud, alcohol-fueled card games late into the night in the quiet neighborhood. Blanche recalled that they bought a case of beer a day. The men between p- four of them, pretty weak, right? Yeah,
0: for real. Yeah, six packs, See? Oh no, man, he's now I'm so drunk I'm gonna go rob this
2: store. <laughs> Could have been that high gravity stuff back in the '30s. Nah. nah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: The men came and went noisily at, at all hours. He said, we got all whole thing of Bartles and James?
0: He said, I got some of the fuzzy navels? Bro, we partied so hard. Played Uno? It was a fucking party. We're criminals.
2: We're outlaws. Spades till I die. That's it.
1: The men came and went noisily at all hours, and Clyde accidentally fired a BAR in the apartment while cleaning it. No neighbors went to the house. Hey, <laughs>
0: you one- fucking a loaded gun. This guy's dumb as rocks. Yeah.
1: But one neighbor reported suspicions to the Joplin Police Department. The police assembled a five-man force and two cars on April 13th to confront what they suspected were bootleggers living in the garage apartment. The Barrow Gang opened fire, killing Detective Harry L. McGinnis outright and fatally wounding Constable J.W. Harriman. So that sounds like a total cop name from the 30s. All of these range.
0: names back then are yeah. just incredibly... Buck Barrow, Clyde, or I mean, what was, what was that guy's name again? The cop they killed,
1: J.W. Harriman.
0: <laughs> J.W. Harriman, Harry L.
1: McGinnis. Oh, uh,
0: we got to start bringing that back when people call it they call themselves like the initials, like mm. H.W. Yeah, or, yeah. There you go.
1: Bonnie opened fire with a bar as the others fled, forcing Highway Patrol Sergeant G.B. Kaler to duck behind a <laughs> large oak tree. Yeah, D.B. Cooper.
2: <laughs> right before he jumped out of the plane. Yeah.
1: Hey, I'm M.F. Ucker. <laughs> The bullets from the bar struck a tree and forced wood splinters into the sergeant's face. Ah, my face! Parker got into the car with others as they pulled in Blanche from the street where she was pursuing her dog, Snowball. The surviving officers (laughs) later testified that they had fired only 14 rounds in the conflict. One struck Clyde, but it was deflected by his suit coat button and one grazed Buck after ricocheting off a wall. Now that's
0: when they made buttons that lasted. <laughs> that's <laughs> all I'm saying. And I'm also surprised that the dog's name is Snowball and not
1: RW Snowball. <laughs> <laughs> the group escaped the police at Joplin but left behind most of their possessions at the apartment, including Buck's parole papers, who were which were just three weeks old. <laughs> <laughs> I had to mail those back in. <laughs> Something tells me that this guy isn't a good guy at all. Right? <laughs> a large arsenal of weapons a handwritten poem by Bonnie Clyde's guitar that he later asked his mother if she would contact the police to see if they would return it and they said no
2: <laughs> hey uh you know my son Clyde Yeah. I kind of like can, can I get his guitar back can I get his guitar you know? back she's like have you ever seen the movie Desperado
1: <laughs> he needs that guitar if he's gonna kill people but they also left a camera with several rolls of undeveloped film Kodak baby Police developed a film at the Joplin Globe and found many photos of Barrow, Parker, and the gang posing and pointing weapons at one another. <laughs> yes,
0: I've seen them, and you're just like, man, they they didn't have any firearms training whatsoever. No. That bitch has a fucking machine gun pointed right at his stomach, and he's like, you got me. <laughs> Selfie time. Yeah, hey, remember last week when you, that gun went off on accident? <laughs> hey, you should totally point that at me because I'm dumb as shit. I've got hookworm. <laughs> just remember.
1: The Globe sent the poem and the photos over to the newswire, including a photo of Parker clenching a cigar in her teeth and a pistol in her hand. Yeah, see? And the gang of criminals became front page news throughout America as the Barrow Gang.
0: Yep, you're absolutely right. That's what made them. The
1: The undeveloped roll of pictures where, yeah, she had a cigar, her leg, her one foot up on a car Mm -hmm. bumper and a pistol in her hand. Now, you've you've seen these pictures, right? I saw them, but
2: man, that was like, what, back in... 10th grade or well, something I know. like so that So the
1: thing for me the reason i asked this is
0: because like obviously they had the movie that made it super famous which was like warren Beatty, yeah and them in, of the, in the late 60s and, and uh what should we call it um gene hackman played buck you know i try to look back and be like were these people as attractive as these movies made them out to be she wasn't bad looking she
1: wasn't bad looking. oh really she was huh. kind of cute yeah okay
2: which would i'm sure uh helped aid her in the sensationalism of the story yeah, at the yeah, time sure. yeah Get a little
0: flapper cap on, cigar, pistol, standing up there. Yeah, it's, it's it looks like, you know, when you used to go to Six Flags and you get those
1: pictures like your cowboy. pictures Yeah, yeah
0: the, 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 Oh, the, no,
2: the, yeah, yeah, like where it's like the, one, the black and white. The
0: posters. That's yeah, what it yeah, yeah. Like. yeah.
1: So John Dillinger had movie star good looks and pretty boy Floyd had a fucking awesome nickname, but the Joplin photos introduced new criminal superstars with the most titillating trademark of it all, illicit sex.
0: Yeah. Clyde Bear, sex sells. That's right.
1: Clyde Barrow and Bonnie Parker were young and wild, and undoubtedly slept together. While they were definitely fucking, it's been said that Bonnie was in reality the real horn dog, and Clyde was just along for the fuck fest. I actually, <laughs> I actually read a couple articles that insinuated that Clyde may have been bisexual.
0: Well, yes, I think well, that's the case. I, uh, there President was a turned him. One, well, no, I think he was
2: honestly. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He got, yeah he was just like you know what I didn't like it at first but no, I don't think that's how that works I think he was legitimately bisexual and I think he was actually hooking up with one of the gang members
1: they, that that was part of the, the story was yeah. there's stories bouncing around about yeah, yeah he wasn't like totally into fucking all the time like Bonnie she wanted yeah. to just she wanted the D all 24/7. the time 24 7 well yeah. they
0: threw away the pictures of him like wearing a dress and shit <laughs> in that role film getting fucking pegged by Bonnie <laughs>
1: One author claims that the entire Barrow gang suffered from gonorrhea. I mean, that was pretty
0: common. If they're back then. all fucking each other.
1: Yeah, you lived that lifestyle
0: back then chlamydia, gonorrhea, syphilis. I mean, yeah. dude, yeah. I, like if you read the historical list of people that had syphilis, you're like, God almighty. These That's people a were fucking, fucking some gutter skanks on the reg, <laughs> dude. Yeah.
1: Although the pictures developed generated a public image, in reality, Bonnie just liked the posing part. She didn't smoke cigars, just camel cigarettes. The mythic image of Bonnie as a mean mama puffing away on a stogie is just that, an image. On the other hand, Bonnie liked to drink whiskey, and several eyewitnesses from their time remember seeing her drunk. Clyde shied away from alcohol, feeling that it was important for him to be alert in case the needed to make a fast getaway. Yeah, I don't think so good, so if I'm drunk. (laughs) He said, I can't handicap myself any more than that hookworm already did. Imagine not ever drinking just because you've raised so much hell. You might have to make a fast getaway at any time. I feel like, like
0: the stress would make me drink even more. Yeah. But also, he was the driver, too. So thank God they had a, <laughs> it was the, the first uh, designated driver campaign ever. Yeah,
2: way before there was even a, a need for one by yeah. uh, by any kind of like uh, mad oh, shit. I mean, or anything like that. You you know know have, I mean? Those cars back then, you wreck those things, you're
0: getting decapitated. Dude. <laughs> yeah. They didn't even have safety glass back then. <laughs>
1: Oh, and the fucking dashboards were all metal. Yeah,
0: Yeah. metal,
2: and then the steering wheel basically would just (laughs) peel the top of your skull right off. God bless it if it was raining. Like, I mean, wiper technology was not that
1: great back then. They were death traps. Also, Bonnie likely never killed anyone. The only report of her committing murder came from a discredited eyewitness. Actually, she wanted to help two victims shot by Clyde and an accomplice having been asleep in the car at the time of the deed. The gang continued to roll around Texas and the surrounding states, robbing stores, funeral homes, and the occasional bank. There was an incident that would literally scar one of them for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. On the night of June 10, 1933, Clyde, with Bonnie in the passenger seat, was speeding along the rural roads of North Texas so quickly that he missed a detour sign warning of a bridge under construction. The duo's Ford V8 smashed through a barricade at 70 miles an hour and sailed through the air before landing in a dry riverbed scalding acid poured out of the smashed car battery and severely burned Bonnie's right leg, Mm -hmm. eating away at her flesh down to the bone in some places.
0: Yeah, it's not like National Impulence Vacation at all.
1: Yeah, (laughs) no. And I'm thinking of, like, Stan.
2: Clyde, I know I'm still writing you the
1: letter. (laughs)
0: Got battery
1: acid on the leg,
0: though? Oh. Oh. Yeah. Yeah,
2: that's rough.
1: It's in the bone. (laughs) As a result of the third-degree burns, Bonnie, like Clyde, Walked with a pronounced limp for the rest of her life, and she had such difficulty walking at times that she hopped or needed Clyde to carry her. So at oh, this point, that makes Clyde getaways was, hard. Yeah, I was about to say. So at this point, Clyde is missing two toes. Bonnie had burned so bad she could barely walk. It was kind of tough for people making their money by having to get the hell out of <laughs> <Yeah>. situations. <laughs> and pretty they've quick. all got gonorrhea and hookworm. <laughs> <laughs> it's just
2: God. This is like a, a nightmare circus. Yeah, you know.
0: And diarrhea, probably. <laughs> he, Clyde had a horrible to ass. He tried to run one time. He's like, oh, please, God. They haven't invented
1: wet wipes yet. <laughs> the gang was responsible for around 13 murders, nine of them law enforcement officers and multiple kidnappings. The crazy thing about the kidnappings is that they usually release their hostages far away from home, sometimes with money to help them return.
2: Yeah, that's the way that they kind of played it in the movies is like if they ever had to kidnap anybody because it started to get a little dicey, mm-hmm. they would, you know, speed off, beat the cops, and they would like maybe like tie him to a tree, beat, beat off, off the cops. cops. That's immediately what I thought, too. How are we going to get out of this one, Clyde? He's like, don't worry, I got to check up my sleeve. I'm going to take it back to prison times. Come over here. Comes full circle. <laughs> But, yeah, no, they would, like, tie, tie you know, with a rope, tie them up to a tree, but mm-hmm. they would leave them with, like, you know, if they stole $50,000, they would leave them with 5000 or something like that. I don't think that they were hitting numbers like that. I'm uh, just, I'm, I'm no,
0: just I know. Saying, you know I'm like, just thinking, like, what's f- I heard one thing when they were talking about their actual scores, and they were fucking pedestrian, bro. Oh, yeah. They were like, oh, we got 73 bucks from this one, and then now your legs burnt battery battery acid. Was not oh. worth it?
2: Yeah, even at inflation rates, I mean, like that's yeah. still what, like maybe like five hundred dollars or not, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they
1: weren't, they were not balling. With all their misdeeds, law enforcement were on high alert in multiple states and were dying to get their hands on the Barrow gang. And the end was soon in sight. How many times have you listened to an episode and thought, "Man, I wish they would have said this"? Well, now with our interactive social media pages, you can. Let us know what you think about our show subjects and give us your scores. We'd love to hear from you. Well, most of you at least. Let's dive back into the action. In July 1933, the gang checked into the Red Crown Tourist Court south of Platte City, Missouri. It consisted of two brick cabins joined by garages, and the gang rented both of them. To the south stood the Red Crown Tavern, a popular restaurant among Missouri highway patrolmen and the gang seemed to go out of their way to draw attention. Clyde's sister-in-law, Blanche, registered the party as three guests, but the owner could see five people getting out of the car. He noted that the driver backed into the garage gangster style for a quick getaway. Personally, <laughs> I don't do the fucking back-end parking I don't either. Thing. I don't either. And I can't don't. fucking stand it when you have to wait for somebody yeah. in a parking lot to fucking Austin Powers their way yeah. into a parking space It's so backwards. crazy
0: when you see sometimes you're like, it's so painfully obvious that backing in is so much more difficult than just backing out when you're done. But they just do it. I asked a couple guys I used to work with that, that backed their cars in, and I was like, why do you fucking do that? it's uh, technically it's it's more safe that way. And I was like, I don't, I just don't see how
2: dude my brother-in-law does it, has been doing it for 20 plus years and it's, it's just so pretentious. You know what I mean? There's two types
0: of people that back their cars in and those that don't. Yeah. And, uh, the people that back them in, I'm always just like, I think, I think you have hookworm.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Blanche paid for their cabins with coins rather than bills and did the same later when buying five dinners and five beers. The next day, the owner noticed that his guests had taped newspapers over the windows of their cabin, not to raise any suspicions or anything. Yeah, we're so
0: inconspicuous.
1: Hey, do you think they're growing marijuana in there? Mm. They taped up the windows and... uh... I think they're
0: on methamphetamines.
1: (laughs) The owner of the hotel told Captain William Baxter of the Highway Patrol, a patron of his restaurant, about the group. Bill Baxter, eh? That's right. Clyde and one of his gang members went into town to purchase bandages, crackers, cheese, and atropine sulfate to treat Parker's leg. The druggist contacted Sheriff Holt Coffee, another <laughs> Look at that. hardcore yeah, Holt co- Coffee. Holt Coffee. Good God, what a name. Who put the cabins under surveillance. Coffee had been alerted by Oklahoma, Texas, and Arkansas law enforcement to watch for strangers seeking such supplies as the ones he just bought. Sheriff contacted Captain Baxter, who called for reinforcements from Kansas City, including an armored car. Sheriff Coffee led a group of officers towards the cabins at 11 p.m. armed with Thompson machine guns. They were ready for him. Sheriff Holt Coffee was about that shit. That's right. In the gunfight which ensued, the 45 caliber Thompsons proved no match for Barrow's 30 caliber BAR, stolen on July 7th from a National Guard armory in Enid, Oklahoma. So they robbed a fucking armory of Oh wow. Time. The gang escaped when a bullet short-circuited the horn on the armored car and the police officers mistook it for a ceasefire signal. They did not pursue the retreating Barrow vehicle. The gang had evaded the law once again, but Buck had sustained a bullet wound that blasted a large hole in his forehead skull bone and exposed his injured brain. God. Ooh. And Blanche was nearly... Am blinded. I going to be
2: okay? <laughs> does, this, does it look bad? <laughs> not so much here or right here, but right, right here. here. Like, Don't say
0: a word. You look fine, Buck. It looks good, buddy. You're going to be good. He said, I just... I smell something burning. <laughs> I smell burnt toast. You guys smell that?
1: The Barrow gang camped at Dexfield Park an abandoned amusement park near Dexter, Iowa on July 24th. Buck was sometimes semi-conscious, and even though he talked and ate, the massive head wound and loss of blood were so severe that Barrow and one of his cronies dug a grave for him.
0: You hungry, buddy? God, we got you an egg McMuffin. <laughs> <laughs> he's basically rocking an aneurysm, and like... Oh, dig him a grave. What did you say? (laughs) I'm fine. I'm fine. You guys don't have to
1: do that. Look, I mean, I ate the whole Egg McMuffin. No problem. Local residents noticed their bloody bandages, and officers determined that the campers were the Barrow Gang. Police officers and approximately 100 spectators surrounded the group, and the barrows soon came under fire. Bonnie and Clyde escaped on foot. Buck, again, was shot in the back, and he and his wife were captured by officers. Oh,
2: it keeps getting worse. Just make it
0: stop. God, you got f- three other people. You can't shoot them once.
1: Uh, it's like that fucking internet video with a soccer goalie that keeps getting <laughs> yeah. thrown by the ball. What was what was that guy's name? Uh, the volleyball
2: read. person who yeah, keeps yeah, getting yeah. I, yeah.
1: <laughs> Buck did die of his head wound and pneumonia after surgery. And, and f- the back shot. Oh, it, oh, and the diarrhea. <laughs> <in. laughs> Five days later, at King's Daughter Hospital in Perry, Iowa. For the next six weeks, the gang had to stray from the usual area of operations, going west to Colorado, north to Minnesota, southeast to Mississippi, yet they continued to commit armed robberies.
0: Yeah, you're in it, man. In for yeah. a penny, in for a
2: pound. Yeah, exactly.
1: They restocked their arsenal when the Barrow gang robbed an armory at Platteville, Illinois on August 20th, acquiring three BARs, handguns, and a large amount of ammunition. On January 16th, 1934, Barrow orchestrated the escape of several members of his gang that had been incarcerated along the way in what was called the East Ham Breakout. How are you robbing <laughs> armories everywhere, too? It seems like crazy as fuck. They're like,
0: how are we going to fend him off? All we have here is hundreds of guns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, and, you know, like... The, the Post reports like, God, he really is kind of a moron, but he's good at robbing people. Yeah, apparently yeah. so. Hey, I got this great idea. Let's go
2: rob the hardest thing in the world to rob. It'll be just like that gas station. <laughs> you know. Same shit.
1: The brazen raid generated negative publicity for Texas and Barrows seemed to have achieved what historian Phillips suggests was his overriding goal, revenge on the Texas Department of Corrections. After the raid, which resulted in more cop killings, public perception turned on the criminal duo. In the previous years, they had captured the intrigue of the American public with their brazen crimes, outlaw sex, and a little remorse as they let some victims go with a little cash in their pocket. But the murders of the police officers in the Eastern breakout was a final straw, and both the public and the police knew it had to be stopped.
0: No more outlaw sex for (laughs) y'all. From now on, it's only lawful sex. This is the South. That's it. missionary with your shirt on. Missionary lights out. No talking to each other. You just breathe heavily. <laughs> no blowies. No <laughs> <laughs> No
1: blowies. The Texas Department of Corrections contacted former Texas Ranger Captain Frank Hamer and persuaded him to hunt down the Barrow gang. Hamer formed a group of cops from multiple agencies to really dig in and capture the gang. One of the cops that was recruited was a man by the name of Ted Hinton. Remember Ted Hinton from earlier in the story? Yeah. Ted was the guy who was a regular at the restaurant Bonnie worked at years ago. Ted Hinton was the youngest of a six-man posse who ambushed and killed the infamous couple. His primary job? Identify the targets. Always a gentleman and a kind customer when he came to see her at Marco's Cafe in Dallas, Hinton believed Bonnie was a sweet girl who just fell for the wrong man. In a book he wrote, he claimed to have fallen for Bonnie at the time. Man,
0: don't admit that shit.
1: Oh, man. So he was really just in it to get Clyde Mm -hmm. steam bagged. If
0: I kill him, then that means I'm going to get a piece of that. Oh, look at her leg. Never mind.
1: (laughs) Still, this would do little to close the rift between his head and his heart as he dedicated himself to chasing down the Barrow gang. I love Bonnie, but I love the law even more. Hinton also knew Clyde from their shared days as Western Union messengers. Starting on February 10th, 1934, Hamer became the constant shadow of Barrow and Parker, living out of his car just a town or two behind them. The gang's itinerary centered on family visits, and they were due to see one gang member's family, Henry Methvin, in Louisiana. In case they were separated, Barrow had designated Methvin's parents' residence as a rendezvous, and Methvin became separated from the gang right outside of Shreveport, Louisiana. Methvin was arrested and charged with one of the murders the gang had committed. Methvin's father, Ivy, was working with the police to try and get leniency on his son and found out that Bonnie and Clyde were coming to Bienville Parish in Louisiana for a visit. The trap was set. Hamer and his posse told Ivy Methvin to park his truck on an old town road that they knew Bonnie and Clyde would take on the route to his house. Old town road? <laughs> you know I wrote that in there. I had the highway name and I'm like, old town road! <laughs> Hinton recounted that the group was in place by 9pm and waited through the whole next day with no sign of the perpetrators. At approximately 9.15 on May 23rd, the posse were still concealed in the bushes and almost ready to give up when they heard the Ford V8 Barrow was driving approaching at a high rate of speed. Just as they planned, Clyde saw Ivy Method standing by his truck with a tire off and he recognized him and stopped to help. As soon as they got near the truck, the posse popped out of the bushes and approximately 150 rounds later, Bonnie and Clyde lay dead in their car, which was pockmarked with bullet holes.
0: Swiss cheesed up.
1: Gotcha, bitch. Yep. Not taking any chances, the leader of the posse, Frank Hamer, even approached the car and fired several additional shots into the already dead Bonnie's body. Man. See his head explode? <laughs> God! Clyde's head did explode. They said he was probably killed with the first shot. It was a head shot mm-hmm. right off the rip. Boom! Oh, man.
0: Headshot.
2: I need
1: a thousand more rounds in them boys True story though
0: When I was six years old For some reason my parents decided That a great family vacation for us Would be to go to Las Vegas Of course And so we drove out from LA to Las Vegas And at one of the This is old school This is 80s Vegas A very different place but at one of the casinos we went to, which was funny because my parents didn't gamble or anything, we just walked around the casino and looked at the, the, uh, the like, degenerates. <laughs> yeah, tourist attraction, people <laughs> yes. watching. But Bonnie and Clyde's car was there. Yep. And oh, yeah, like on display there, yeah. like an old Ford. Yeah. You could, and it was. They had just like, like some velvet ropes around it. I remember reaching up and you could just put your fingers in the bullet holes. And oh, wow. That, you know? Yep.
1: In her hand was still part of the half eaten sandwich that would be Bonnie's last meal. With gun smoke still lingering in the air, gawkers descended upon the ambush site and attempted to leave with macabre souvenirs from the bodies of the outlaws still slumped in the front seat. I
0: got her sandwich! <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was good. It's Gouda. <laughs> According to Jeff Gwynn's book, Go Down Together, one man tried to cut off Clyde's ear with a pocket knife and another attempted to sever his trigger finger before the lawman intervened. God.
2: So, like, how do you bring that up, like, at a family function later on, like, that's Clyde's ear over there in the jar pickling right That's now.
0: It. Yeah, I mean, what are the cops doing in the meantime? They're about securing a crime scene, they're like, hey, they're like, come check out this shit. Look at that, she got a sandwich in her hand.
2: That motherfucker pulled out a Swiss Army knife, Wait,
0: man. Now, now, come on, you can touch him, but you can't cut his ear off. Ain't no Pablo Picasso. Yeah, we are, look, man. We have to. We're we are lawmen.
1: One person in the throng, however, managed to clip locks of Bonnie's hair and swaths of her blood-soaked dress. And remember Ted Hinton? Yeah. He wound up being part of the group that killed the woman he claimed to have fallen for. He admitted being petrified by Bonnie's screams in the shooting, and I imagine he probably pulled the trigger less often than his peers, knowing the bullets were meant for someone he had been drawn to all those years. He was just aiming at Clyde. He Mm -hmm. wasn't aiming at her. Right. That's how he gets to sleep at night. News of Bonnie and Clyde's death began to spread quickly, even back to Bonnie's legal husband, whom she never divorced, Roy Thornton. Upon hearing of the way Bonnie and Clive's lives were ended, Thornton said, I'm glad they went out like they did, much better than being caught. A real stand-up guy this was, uh, Thornton died three years later when he was gunned down during an escape attempt from prison. They both went out in blazes of glory. Mm, Yeah. When Bonnie was killed, she was still wearing her wedding ring from Roy and had a tattoo on the inside of her right thigh with the two interconnected hearts labeled Bonnie and Roy. That was her good thigh, not the messed up one.
0: What does it say, (laughs) Bonnie and (laughs) (laughs) Roth? I can't even read that.
1: Following the ambush of Bonnie and Clyde, a Louisiana sheriff who was a member of Hamer's six-man posse claimed the pockmarked Ford V8 sedan still coated with outlaws, blood, and tissue. A federal judge, however, ruled that the automobile stolen by Bonnie and Clyde should return to its former owner, Ruth Warren of Topeka, Kansas.
0: Here's your car back. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's
1: a little damaged, but you can probably
0: still drive it.
1: Warren leased and eventually sold the car to Charles Stanley, an anti-crime lecturer who touted fairgrounds with the death car and the mothers of Bonnie and Clyde in tow as sideshow attractions. Still speckled with bullet holes, the death car is now an attraction in the lobby of the Whiskey Pete's Casino in Prim, Nevada, a small resort town on the California border, 40 miles south of Las Vegas. Hey, little Mikey stuck his fingers into the bullet holes. That's right. (laughs) The sandwich was still in it. (laughs) The coroner's report detailed 17 holes in Clyde's body and 26 holes in Bonnie's body. Unofficially, there may have been many more. C.B. Bailey, the undertaker assigned to preserve the bodies for the funerals, found that the bodies had so many holes in them, it was very difficult to keep embalming fluid in them. Yeah. Yeah. Although linked in life, Bonnie and Clyde were split in death. While the pair wished to be buried side by side, Bonnie's mother, who had disapproved of her relationship with Clyde, had her daughter buried in a separate Dallas cemetery. Clyde was buried next to his brother Marvin, underneath a gravestone with his hand-picked epithet, Gone, but not forgotten. And that, boys, is Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Okay,
2: I am supposed to be buried
1: next to my ride or die. Mm-hmm. Well, Marvin will work, I guess. <laughs> yeah, ride or die. Apparently, we did both, ride and died. Jeez, all Man. right all, all right. So let's get some final scores for Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, so I mean, it's pretty much what I remember from the stories before,
0: from what I had read and stuff like that. They now I don't remember the exact body count. But 13, thirteen? yeah, thirteen 13. Yeah, thirteen people, yeah. nine cops, yeah. 13, 13 people died. Um, so I will bump them up to an eight, eight point two five for Bonnie and Clyde for me with the with the murders, and also uh, that 0. .25 is because, uh, they set the template for every skank couple on the planet after that. <laughs> there you go. And that and as big of a fan of uh, Jay Z as I am, Bonnie and Clyde is a horrible
1: Jay Z song. All right, buddy, what you got?
2: All right, so for me, um. Yeah, I, I'm right there with Mikey. I mean, you've had. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you know, he kind of started off a little bit rough, you know, with the military denial, you know, and the tattoo, you know, the the toe that he got, you know, taxed <laughs> off. I know. would love to have been the one to
0: deliver that news. <laughs> Do you see his face? <laughs> hey, you're getting out of here. I know. I lost my foot and shit. Everything's going to transfer me to a better prison. No, 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 no. You were going to get out anyways.
2: What? Damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so that uh also you know according to mikey he had hookworm so i mean <laughs> it's true that was made 100 uh, yeah. percent true story so are, though he probably did He was a barefoot farmer in the south that guy had hookworm so you know i mean like he he has stuff that would kind of you know like lend him to a, a lighter score with me but then i mean you get into the kidnappings the murders the nine cops um also, they were robbing from not just the banks. That's what I always had it in my head mm-hmm. is that they were robbing from the banks and doing kind of like this Robin Hood, not necessarily given to the poor, but you know <laughs> what was it robbing from you yeah, know they were they knocking were the, out dairy queens. Yeah, they were the poor. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, the poor robbing from the poor. Yeah. You know, and so yeah, no, I don't, I don't like that at all. So, um, you know, with the the kidnappings, the murders, and all that, um, I'm gonna bump them up. I originally had them at a seven point eight. And I am going to bump them up to an 8.1.
1: All right. That's my final asshole score. 8.1 for Buddy. So I echo a lot of uh, the sentiments you guys just laid out there. Uh, And, you know, like I said earlier, Hollywood really puts these people kind of up on a pedestal. Sure, of course. And What makes a good movie? yeah, Yeah, and there's even a thing called Bonnie and Clyde Syndrome. Where people are attracted to crimes and death and things like that. They talked about Ted Bundy and, mm-hmm. and folks <clears> like that that are like sexually aroused by seeing crime and death and all this shit. And it's called Bonnie and Clyde Syndrome. So, oh, wow.
0: remember Natural Born Killers, the movie Oliver Stone did in the early 90s? That was oh, yeah. a
1: fantastic movie.
0: Uh, you know, we'd have to go back and rewatch it. But honestly, I remember even when it came out, I was like, hey, fuck Mickey and Mallory, dude. <laughs> this shit ain't cool at all. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so, um, and at the end of the day, I mean, you got 13 bodies on your hands. Mm -hmm. You know, they said she never killed anybody, but she was definitely an accomplice right next to a Yeah, yeah, uh, guilty by association. That's right, absolutely. So, I bumped them up to an 8.0 as my final asshole score. 8.0. All right.
2: With an 8.25 from Mikey, an 8.1 from Buddy, and an 8.0 from Randy,
1: Bonnie and Clyde's combined final asshole score is an 8.1. 8.1 8.1 puts him just above Scott Peterson and just below Pat Robertson. Patty!
2: Oh, wow. yeah. And a little bit below Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like if, and
1: John Gotti. Uh, mm. I put Harvey Weinstein a little bit above them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. All right. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Asshole Court. You know, one thing we love seeing your comments and dialogue on all our social media pages. It's awesome to interact with you, and I was even called an influencer this week by one of our listeners. But if you really want all the goods, you gotta go check us out on Patreon.com. Go to Patreon.com/slash/ahcPodcast and join in on all the fun today. Like we said, you'll get all our episodes of our new show, Conspiracy Court, ad-free asshole court shows, voting privileges for future shows, and those sweet-ass AHC podcast stickers. Check us out today at Patreon.com/slash/ahcPodcast. As always, we appreciate all your support. Be kind to one another, and we'll see you next time on Asshole Court.